Welcome to the Corona of Thorns podcast. I'm Father Peter Zwans, and today is the Feast of St. Boniface. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And with your spirit. To prepare ourselves, let us acknowledge our sins. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and in what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I ask, Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray. May the martyr St. Boniface be our advocate, O Lord, that we may firmly hold the faith he taught with his lips and sealed in his blood, and confidently profess it by our deeds. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to Timothy. You know what I have taught, how I have lived, and what I have aimed at. You know my faith, my patience, and my love my constancy and the persecutions and hardship that came to me in places like Antioch, Iconium and Lystra, all the persecutions I've endured, and the Lord has rescued me from every one of them. You are well aware then that anybody who tries to live in devotion to Christ is certain to be attacked, while these wicked impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and deceive themselves. You must keep to what you have been taught and know to be true. Remember who your teachers were and how ever since you were a child you have known the Holy Scriptures. From these you can learn the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and can profitably be used for teaching, for refuting error, for guiding people's lives and teaching them to be holy. This is how the man who is dedicated to God becomes fully equipped and ready for any good work. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, great peace have they who love your law. O Lord, great peace have they who love your law. Though my foes and oppressors are countless, I have not swerved from your will. Your word is founded on truth, your decrees are eternal. O Lord, great peace have they who love your law. Though princes oppress me without cause, I stand in awe of your word. The lovers of your law have great peace, they never stumble. O Lord, great peace have they who love your law. I await your saving help, O Lord. I fulfill your commands. I obey your precepts and your will. All that I do is before you. O Lord, great peace have they who love your law. Alleluia, alleluia. All who love me will keep my words, and my Father will love them and we will come to them. Alleluia. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. At that time, while teaching in the temple, Jesus said, How can the scribes maintain that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, 
and I will put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. In what way can he be his son? And the great majority of the people heard this with delight. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm going to level with you. This gospel had me running to a scripture commentary. What on earth is going on here? Well, remember, over the last few days, we've been reading about these controversies that have been happening in Jerusalem, that Jesus is in the week of his passion, and the out-and-out warfare between Jesus and the scribes and Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians and the chief priests, it's, it's hit this kind of fever pitch. But now Jesus is weighing in on a controversy without having been asked a question in the first place. He just kind of launches in and says this, How can the scribes maintain that the Christ is the son of David? David himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, said, and then he quotes this line from a psalm, Psalm number 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and I will put your enemies under your feet. Right, let's let's do a little bit of background first so that we can get some bones that we can start hanging some flesh on. When Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, remember, we're, we're after Palm Sunday here. These controversies are happening during Holy Week. but So this has only just happened. Jesus makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and the crowd start chanting this. They're shouting, Hosanna, blessing on him who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heavens. So it kind of begs the question, who are they imagining Jesus to be? There's already this link now between Jesus and the coming of the kingdom of David, of their father David. Now, you know, we remember from like Christmas time that it's something that comes around really often, that that Jesus would be the son of David, that he would belong to the Davidic royal line. You know, um, Isaiah, uh, a shoot springs from the stump of Jesse, um, Jesse, of course, being David's dad. Um, And, um, you know, the prophet Jeremiah, I'll raise up for David a righteous branch. Um, That there was a a sense that the Messiah, being the son of David, would bring back the Davidic kingdom, would, would bring back the line of kings that was established by God in David. And so, you know, what was coming? A new kingdom. But here's the problem. If there's a new kingdom coming, hang on a second, who's in charge? The Romans. Caesar. Pontius Pilate. And so you can see this this title of the son of David, if it's not understood in the right way, it becomes a kind of dangerous political tool. And you can see that in the end, you know, the kind of charges that are brought up against Jesus in his trial are about insurrection. What do they say uh, of Jesus? You know, if, if you release this man, you're no friend of Caesar's. So I think this is probably a first little helpful element to keep in the back of your mind as, as we read just these, these three really short but confusing verses. Is that, yes, Jesus is most definitely the son of David but not in the way that people imagine and not to come to do what people imagine the Messiah will come to do. It's not just about re-establishing the kingdom of David, but about the new establishment of the kingdom of God. 
It's not just about restoring the crown to Israel, but instead Jesus will wear the crown of thorns. So he's not willing to accept the title son of David because the scribes have allowed this political understanding of the Messiah to blossom. So now Jesus weighs into the controversy. Listen to this. He says, how can the scribes maintain that the Christ, the Messiah, right, is the son of David? David himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. Okay, so that quote there comes from the Psalms, from Psalm number 110. And the tradition was always that David, King David, was the composer of the Psalms. Right? He's the one who's writing. So that first line that comes from the quotation from the psalm says, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, okay, what does that mean? Well, the first Lord here is referring to God. God says to who? The Messiah. This is what Jesus is pointing to. The quote says, God said to the Messiah, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. You know, God's making a promise that the Messiah would reign at his right hand and that God would put all the enemies of the Messiah as a footstool under his feet as he reigned. Right. So remember, these are the words of David. So David here calls the Messiah my Lord. The Lord God said to my Lord, the Messiah, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. Now, Jesus then takes that argument a step further. He says, David calls him Lord, like David calls the Messiah Lord. In what way can he be his son? In other words, how can the son be greater than the father such that the father calls his son Lord? In what way do you imagine that the son of David is greater than David? All right, now here's here's where it gets a little bit tricky, right? Because, you know, we look at Jesus and we go, of course he's greater than David. He's greater than Moses and he's greater than Abraham too because of who he is, because he's the son of the father. It's like, oh, hang on a second. Okay, yes, yes, he's greater not simply because he's the son of David come to reestablish the Davidic kingdom, but because he's the son of the Father come to establish the kingdom of God. The scribes have got it wrong. Yes, he's the son of David, but it doesn't mean what they expect it to mean, that he's going to be this great political leader who's going to take on the Romans, that, that he's going to take up the weapons of power and domination and overthrow the Romans. Nah, that's not Jesus' job. That's not what he's here to do. When the Lord says to the Messiah, sit at my right hand, I will put your enemies under your feet. The enemies don't come from Rome. The enemies come from the dark one. Sin and death. That's what Jesus is going to conquer. And that's what is going to be made a footstool for the Messiah in the end times. So Jesus here, he challenges the scribes off his own bat. He says, well, the scribes say that the Christ, that the Messiah is going to be the son of David. But David himself, moved by the Holy Spirit, said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand and I will put your enemies under your feet. Well, David himself calls him Lord. In what way can he be his son? And, you know, you then get this little comment coming from Mark that the great majority of people heard this with great delight. It's always fun to see someone who's grown a little bit too big for his boots to kind of get cut down to size by someone who's clearly smarter. And the crowds love it. All right, so what are we to make of this? You know, why is this important for us? Why is this relevant to us? Okay, well, just quickly, I, th- I think Jesus won't fit the pattern that other people have set for his messiahship. And I, I think he probably says the same to us. You know, he, he doesn't fit our expectations. He doesn't conform to what we expect him to do. And and so, you know, there are probably moments in our own spiritual lives when we turn to the Lord and go, well, well, surely you'll defeat this enemy for me. Surely you can see how the presence of this particular problem or this particular failing or this suffering which I'm enduring, just how it can't fit in with God's plan and that therefore you need to come in and destroy it. Well, maybe that's not the kind of Messiah that Jesus really is. I I suspect here we need to be a little bit humble and acknowledge that God's plan is bigger than what we can perceive. The scribes seem to have narrowed the Messiah into a kind of political figure. And that's not enough. That doesn't solve the real problem. The real problem isn't the Romans. The real problem is death. And and so, you know, maybe in our own lives that we need to have a broadness of spirit to to go, all right, Lord, like, okay, the Romans are a problem, but you know what needs to happen. You know how to deal with the true obstacles that stand in the way of my relationship with you. And, you know, to let Jesus be Jesus. He knows what he's doing, and he knows how to save us. At the Saviour's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress, as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Saviour, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Let us welcome Christ into our hearts with an act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot, at this moment, receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. 
May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. And we finish by praying Pope Francis's prayer to Mary during the coronavirus pandemic. O Mary, you shine continuously on our journey as a sign of salvation and hope. We entrust ourselves to you, health of the sick. At the foot of the cross, you participated in Jesus' pain with steadfast faith. You, salvation of the Roman people, know what we need. We are certain that you will provide so that as you did in Cana of Galilee, joy and feasting might return after this moment of trial. Help us, Mother of Divine Love, to conform ourselves to the Father's will and to do what Jesus tells us. He who took our sufferings upon himself and bore our sorrows to bring us through the cross to the joy of the resurrection. Amen. We seek refuge under your protection, O Holy Mother of God. Do not despise our pleas, we who are put to the test. And deliver us from every danger, O glorious and blessed Virgin. Amen. Thanks for praying with us, and may God bless you abundantly, so that this day may give glory to God the Father.